Jaggers. It's time to get out. Step out into the street. Where all of the action is really don't mean to debarge into your into your podcast service, but uh it is another week. It's the best part about that song, Samantha, is, is it's the fact like they're named DeBarge. See, there's all kinds of different wordplay you could do with this. <laughs> I was having the worst day, and that just made me feel better. The DeBarge pun, I feel better. Also, from having heard DeBarge, that was very helpful. Thank you. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, we are lollygagging sports. I am Bo Reed, along with Samantha Bunn and Matthew Irby. Um, so... <laughs> as usual, we're going to talk some baseball, have a little armchair umpire, but first, as always, Samantha, how you doing? I'd like to check in on my on my friends here. Not the best day. Guardians didn't help. Just Ooh. brutal, brutal right now. Really bad. Um, more than that in a moment, but, you know, there's been DeBarge. There's been a bad DeBarge pun, which was in a way a good DeBarge pun, so doing a little better. <laughs> See, this is actually why I don't like puns. I'm terrible at them. I actually, but it was so awful. bad, it was good. So. I know, I know, but it felt like something Irby would do, and I immediately felt like a dad, even though I'm not a dad. I'm like a dad joke or a dad pun. Are you training? I, I hope not. I. Irby, <laughs> 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 how about you? How you doing down there in Texas? <laughs> I I am well. I don't know what the problem. Let's have more dad jokes. Yes, more dad jokes. No. Everything is good. Uh, last day of school. School is done down here. Both kids had field days. So, yeah, I've been outside for 10 hours making sure it all went off. And the same number of kids that showed up at school went home today. <laughs> I miss that a good field day, you know? It's, it's amazing the things you be that you, you, as you become an adult, right? Like nap time. I miss nap time. I would really like to have like a nice little siesta around 2 o'clock every afternoon. You know, field day where you just get out and just, you know, do random games all day long instead of, you know, work. Like, uh, Yes, it was great. It was I was in charge of the softball toss today. So that was fun. Um, the highlight of my day was when the group of fifth graders thought that they could throw pretty far. and Like, well, we're doing better than you. I'm like, no, you're not. And then I showed them that, yes, I can throw it twice as far. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't, kids. See, I was going to ask if you if you if you had to endure any uh, pitchers got a rubber arm type jokes coming from the kids. There's my answer. Yeah, no, just the uh, yeah, just that. Uh, well, I would, I, what the, my favorite was the one that threw the first. Like, well, I'm a football player. I'm like, great, I'm a baseball player. Watch this. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! All right, well, let's let's not let's not lie to gag any more than we already have. Let's, let's get into our. Baseball topics for the week. Samantha, do you want to kick us off? We're not going to talk anymore about field day. All right, Sonny. I mean, we um, can if you want, if you really want to. I just wanted to ask if you guys have seen that meme that's floating around. It's been floating around for a while now, where somebody was like, "Field trips are lost on kids." Like, imagine getting to spend a whole day learning how an old water mill works, and that spoke to me so deeply because I was like, you know what? As a kid. I would have hated that. I've been like, God, it's so boring. Right. Can't believe they're teaching us how water mill works. If somebody told me now that like I could just take a day off from life and like learn about something ridiculous, like you know, the I don't know hydraulics on a water wheel, I would be thrilled. You know, that's actually a good point. You know, like I'll, I'll actually find myself now, like like I'll, I'll come across a documentary that that's just got that old like 
you know it was it was designed to be shown in school, like in a classroom. And you know, yeah. And, and now all of a sudden, I'm into it, right? I'm interested. They've got my attention. I, I don't know what what changed, but I'm with you on that. I feel that too. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm, I'm suddenly into this. I, I wasn't. Yeah, it just never occurred to me until I saw that because you're thinking like, oh, yeah, of course, I've always been an intellectually curious person or whatever, and then you're like, oh, but even the stuff you thought was lame now would seem like a great day. Like, yeah. stare at this water wheel. Like, watch this goofy, badly made film about like. I don't know how to build a log cabin. Like, I could get down with that at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Tuesday. Like, yeah, build some log cabins, man. Uh, some, yeah. of, some of them are still really You gotta bring good. a sack lunch with you when you do it. Make sure to the sack lunch. You gotta have the sack lunch, yeah. <laughs> you said a Sasquatch, and I was like, why? Um, but a sack lunch, yes, absolutely. The kind that is tied in a bandana on the end of a stick. Which I don't know that anyone ever really did, but it's in cartoons, you know. So, um, but all right, no, no one's getting a field day here. Nobody's well, yeah, he's not getting a night off. So I can, I can uh, actually see that cartoon right now. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so after you listen to the show, go Google how a watermill works. Um, we will all be further enlightened, but now we will enlighten you about baseball. Um, although I, I'm beginning not so much with enlightening information as a, a complaint um, about Sean Murphy, and, and my complaint is not about Sean Murphy personally. Sean Murphy is wonderful. It's about my own team, the Guardians' failure to acquire Sean Murphy in the offseason. Um, so it, it did, you know, originally just kind of started off wanting to talk about Sean Murphy and then what a fantastic season that he's having. And when you look at sort of like where the Braves catchers are at from a defensive standpoint, which is, of course, mostly going to be Murphy, they are second uh, in most defensive metrics only behind Arizona. So, and, and, and the man can hit, um, which has been an ongoing problem, I think not just for the Guardians, but for many teams with their catcher, but, you, you know, usually you're hoping to get one thing or the other, right? You're either getting somebody who's, like, a good defensive catcher who calls a good game and handles things well and, and manages your pitchers well, or you're getting a guy who can hit, and ideally you would get both, and both would be Sean Murphy, at least the way that he's playing right now, and I don't think that's going to change, and so if you, if you look at this guy and he's you know, he's had, what, 142 at-bats, so that that's pretty good. That's he's playing the, the bulk of the time, and triple slash, 398, 549, 947. His career numbers are, I think, below that, but still pretty darn good for a catcher. Um, and he's been, his bad up's like 305, so that suggests that this is probably going to hold it at least relatively well for the rest of the season. And um, he was not cheap, certainly, to acquire, but I... I think that in the midst of my being like, oh, I just want to celebrate Sean Murphy. I think he's amazing. I became bitter because the two bozos currently playing catcher for the Guardians, I mean, at one point they went a month without a hit, the two of them, Zanino and Cam Gallagher. Gallagher actually went a full month without making contact with a baseball. So that was great. And I'm sure the justification somewhere deep in the recesses of the Guardian's front office is, well, Bo Naylor. Bo Naylor's almost there. Bo Naylor's almost there. Okay, well, you know, this was supposed to be a competitive team this year, and you're telling us that Bo Naylor is really not ready. So either call up Bo Naylor, since, you know, this is apparently why we didn't make the trade, or 
I think they need to, this is like a Guardian-specific complaint, but indulge me. I think we have some Guardians fans in the audience for this, and it's not just me. Um, that the Guardians are pretty stubborn about, you know, they make their trade offer, and then they're not going to move off of it. And they are used to fleecing people on trades. And that's great, and I would like to continue to do that. But sometimes a trade opportunity presents itself where you're not necessarily going to have the opportunity to fleece somebody, but you could just make a good trade for yourself. And perhaps that will end up being a good trade for the other team as well, and that would be fine. So I can't imagine, unless the A's were saying, it's by the year we're hanging up, which I highly doubt, because there's always something else that you can counter with, and, and the Guardians sort of stubbornly just, you know, nope, this is the offer, we're not moving. And then, of course, they lost it to someone else, someone who didn't need them him as badly as they do and look where you're at now like look at these two goons we have playing catcher it's just awful they're awful defensively they're awful at play i mean it's bad i I feel like we've been here before with cleveland top catcher top catching prospect hanging on to the guy could have had and had him in, in much more high profile deals you end up trading him a couple years down the road for for not as much. He doesn't really pan out. I feel like we've been here for it. Am I wrong? Am I, am I am I mixing up my catchers here, Samantha? I feel like I've seen this movie. Oh, I see what you're saying. So you're saying you think Bo Naylor would have been in the deal, and I think you're probably right. Yeah. Um, which I think would have been okay. Um, yeah, because you're thinking of uh, Francisco Media, who yes. yeah did not turn out great. So I I do have higher hopes for for Bo Naylor in that regard, but I also think that you know sometimes you have to stop being like precious about your prospects mm-hmm. and decide we want to win now so if you're telling us that Bo Naylor is not ready which I mean at this point just feels like horse Kentucky because like he can't be worse than these two so um why you haven't at least called up Bo Naylor is a mystery to me but then of course there's the further mystery of why didn't you just resign Austin Hedges like who yeah. also can't hit but he was Good enough defensively. He was fantastic at handling the pitching staff, fantastic at calling the game, and sort of the, like, straw that stirs the drink kind of guy mm-hmm. for a team that looks pretty darn flat right now. And he would have cost you the same amount of money. So if, yeah, you go after Sean Murphy, you probably should have at least made a second offer or a better offer. And if you still can't get him, okay. But why you would go after a guy who had shoulder surgery, who's never been particularly good, who has a lot of holes in his game, and then go, oh, well, Austin Hedges is going to pick for like, yeah, he the best solution either, but it's better than the one you got. And I, I just really think that they need to be more careful about the way that they handle trades like this, because I think there was a missed opportunity here where they probably had more to offer, and they just didn't want to offer it, and they got stuck. Like they always do, and look at the situation you're in now. Well, I mean, it, it is tricky though for Cleveland because like they they don't spend right on the market. So is that why they hang on to these prospects like this? They 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 because they seem to really really fall in love with their prospects a little bit more than some other teams do. Yeah, and I think yeah, I think you're right, and I think some of that makes sense, right? I, I think you have to be a little bit more willing mm-hmm. to, you know, if you don't have money to spend or you have a, a minimal amount of money that you're willing to spend, I guess is the correct way to phrase it. But, um, but yeah, yeah, you do have to hang on to these guys. So sometimes you hang on to somebody a little too long or you allow, you turn down trades that would help you be better in the now because you have to think about what would be more sustainable. So, so yeah, I get that. 
I, I just think it's, you know, we're, we'll never know what the details of that offer was because this is how baseball works, right? We, we only know the details of the chase that goes through. We never know what was offered on the ones that don't. But we know how they act, and we know that, you know, I think that this was a situation where, you know, he's – it's not a rental in this, you know, nobody, nobody would have argued for something like this. The guardian give up all prospects at the deadline. We know that that would be stupid for a team like this, but like as an off season trade for a competitive team that had a real problem, at catcher, <laughs> like, I don't know, man. Um, I, I'm not sure that hanging on to Bo Naylor for a couple of more years and, and whoever else is might've cost you was the, the intelligent way to go with this. <laughs> Irby, how about you? What are you thinking here with the with the uh, the Guardians' lack of making a move here? I I mean it's you know me I'm always always game for adding a good catcher and I get the argument behind not adding Sean Murphy. Okay, fine, you don't want to spend or anything. Then you almost have to put this in a situation where you're letting in this, in this case, for Cleveland, Bo, know that hey, it's your gig, it's your keys, and and you almost put him in a situation because this isn't like a prospect that you've got to add to the roster, and he's already on the forty man. Okay, so in a sense, the clock has begun ticking. Obviously, the major league time has not started ticking, but you, to a sense, you have begun ticking here, and um, if. You know, whatever the the combination of Zanina, I I, I can't even. You know, I was going to try and make the Zanino argument, but I can't because we all you you know what you're getting there. If you don't know what you're getting with Zanino, I, you're you're an organization, and there's plenty of them out there that don't survive and don't thrive. Cleveland is not one of those. They've proven that time and time again. You knew what you were getting with Zanino, and it was never going to be the answer. Okay, he is going to have his flashes. He's going to have his great games, but he's not the answer. And so. Then it becomes okay. Are you, are you is it Gallagher's gig? And and like you said, Samantha, I think we're at a point now. We're beyond a point now where okay, add add the kid, bring him up. Let's see what happens. Like this is no longer a uh, let's give him a drink of water. This is okay. You didn't make this this move for Sean Murphy because you didn't make this trade because. So now with how the season's going. It's not going in the right direction. You, I mean, you're at the point now where you've got to light a fire under somebody's ass, okay? And if it's Bo Naylor that's the one that's going to light a fire under them, then so be it. That's great. That's awesome. But you've got to do something. Something needs to be done. Luckily, as we've joked about many a times, this is the AL Central, so you really can't fall too far behind because the twins are going to twins here pretty soon. But at some point, got to do something. Got to do something. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, yes. I mean, Irby, you're right. The panic meter is not nearly where it would be in pretty much any other division because, like, look at these. Like, it's a trash fire. The whole division's a trash fire. Like, you've been playing horrible baseball, and you're less than five games out behind a team that you know is going to regress in the second half because they always do. And, like, does anyone trust the Tigers to hang around? No. So, you're lucky, but 
but yeah, you know, I think there there is a defensible argument, or be like you said, for not signing Sean Murphy. Like, look, you know, if you come back and say they they wanted too much, we weren't willing to do it, and it's not it doesn't make financial sense for us. Okay, but then what you should have done is re-sign Austin Hedges so that you would have your guy to kind of be the you know shepherd for for your your lost sheep here and the guy who perhaps handles the bulk of the catching at the beginning of the season, you call Bo up, you give him a shot. And by the way, he's a phantom prospect now for this season because he was called up to be the emergency catcher um, over the weekend. So he wasn't used, but he was called up. So he's phantom now. So we'll see what happens with that. But like, why not re-sign Hedges? You know, like there's a guy who I am sure would be okay with handing the reins over to the kid if the kid wins the job, hedges is your insurance, maybe goes back, gets in that job, but doesn't, you could always send him back down and then at least you have defense. <sighs> you know, I Terrible. And and the thing is like like even if it's not Austin Hedges, not getting that like that one year deal to 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 buy Bo some time. That 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 for me is the real problem here. Cause that because that comes cheap. Even for even for Cleveland, that comes cheap. So, well, Hedges is on a one-year deal with Pittsburgh. So sure, yeah, but, but, but any one-year deal would have done as as far as it, it, certainly better than this. The, the production. That well, you're sure. Like, out. I mean, the, how about the one-year deal you have with Zanino? Call Bo up, see what happens. You know, like, like yeah. that's. I mean, like at the end of the day, yeah. I mean, I guess that's where we're at at this point with what we have left to work with. It's like mm-hmm. all luck, you know. Like, let's let's go. Um, yeah, it's frustrating. I, I feel you, Guardians fans. I, I understand why everybody's so mad about this. I don't blame you a bit. Yeah. Um, right. Moving on. Yep. What else you got for us? <laughs> to a group that has started out even worse than the Guardians did, but it's perhaps starting a little bit better now. Um, they have a bit of a catching problem, too. A far greater off-field controversy in the, the form of... Uh, poor Wilson Contreras, who was unfairly, um, I think, set up as like the poster child for all the problems the Cardinals were having, and lost his job, and, and then got his job back. And uh, the Cardinals, in you know, allow this podcast to kind of pat itself collectively on the back a little bit because we said the Cardinals are going to be fine; they are always fine. And sure enough, uh, the Cardinals, despite having a tremendous start and a lot of meltdowns by Cardinals fans, and with other people too. They are only five games back as of Wednesday. They're 22 and 28, and they're seven and three in their last ten. And if you look at the teams ahead of them, you know Milwaukee's five and five, Pittsburgh's four and six, and, and the Cubs are three and seven. So you know Pittsburgh, it was fun while it lasted. I, I think we were seeing the beginning of the end. The Cubs probably going to hang around the middle, like we said last time we talked about this. Milwaukee. A much better team certainly than the other two, and much more consistent, if nothing else. But I don't think they're so good. In fact, I know they're not so good that if the Cardinals come out and start playing their best baseball from here, they can catch them. So what do we think, guys? Are the Cardinals fixed? Are they fixed or are they just having a better week? You know, I mean, I've been back and forth on this all day. Uh, I want to believe they're fixed. Yeah. You know, I, I think I need, a li- I need to see this for a little bit longer. Before I before I go, yeah, they're fixed. Now th- it, it really does seem like a typical a, a typical Cardinals. Hey, <laughs> we're just screwing around in April and early May. We're fine. We're good. <laughs> we're going to be okay, and we're going to come right back. I mean, Milwaukee's leading this division with a negative two run differential. So of course the Cardinals can retake this division and do it easily. It's just it's just Irby. We've reached this point where like this is what the Cardinals do <laughs> every year. This one was a little bit more extreme. Than they've done in the past, 
but still, this 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 seems somewhat normal. Well, and there you go. You said it right there. The extreme, and there will be that extreme because they um, all these years that we've had fun with the the Yadier Molina Cardinals, which is like sixty years. I think that's how long he played. Something like that. Um, no, but in the last twenty years, what we've seen with these guys, every time they won the division, they've never been further than six and a half out, um, and they fell ten out, ten plus out. So here we go. We will find out. Um, I to to the point we all were making about the fixed. I, I, I'm the same. I don't want to say fixed, but we're getting a better idea of who these guys are. You know, it's almost kind of that that opposite opposite of what what Pittsburgh was. Yeah, that was a great start, and then now we're seeing who they are. And you know, St. Louis, here we go. It's it's a yeah, a, a horrendous start. You know, anytime you have an eight game losing streak at that point in the season, it's always going to make things really bad. But yeah, down to ten and twenty four, and have fought them way back. And it's a fought their way back in it, beating teams like the Dodgers and the Brewers and the and even the Red Sox as well. Like that that is that was big. That, I think for me that's where I'm feeling like okay, this is you know we're, we're getting the I, I can't every time I'm trying to say they're starting to be who we thought they were and there it is. There's Denny Green going they are who we thought we were there. <laughs> it's just not the same thing of what, what he was doing. But I think we are starting to see who these guys really are. Um, and they've dug themselves a heck of a hole. Um, that's a Milwaukee team, like you said, that we're, you know, I, I we don't know. And the, the problem here is, is that the Cubs are getting better. The Pirates have played, have played well at times. So this is not a typical Cardinals thing where they're in second place sitting 10, you know, six games behind the Brewers. And it's like, yeah, it's just a matter of time. You've got the Brewers, but you've got two upstart Pirate and Cub teams, it's going to make this one just a little bit more difficult. But, hey, five and a half back sitting as we record right now, so I don't know. Let's see. Let's see. You know, the thing is, Samantha, he brings up the Cubs, and, yeah, that's fine. The Cubs are right there, but they're three and seven of the last ten, and they're already starting to leak in the press that they're looking into the trade deadline, not as buyers either, right? Like, this, this could be a, if they don't turn this around fast, they're in sell mode, which takes another contender out of the way for the Cardinals to bounce through. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a great point. Um, and I think when you put that together with the fact that Pittsburgh, yeah, they're a better team than anybody thought they would be, but they're not what they appeared to be for those lovely few weeks where we were all having a great time watching Pirates games. <laughs> and not to suggest that the Pirates are going to fall off a cliff and, and be as, as bad as perhaps we thought they would be or as they have been in the recent past, but it also is going to mean probably that it will be less difficult for St. Louis to overcome the fact that there are three teams ahead of them than it would be for most teams who have three teams in front of them right now. Um, you know, I suppose the AL Central, you could make that argument for the White Sox, but, like, you guys have seen the White Sox, right? Like, um, so I say it's the team that lost to the White Sox two out of the last three, and six to nothing today, but... Um, Regardless, I you know they, they may also like prove to be better than the Guardians if they don't turn it around, but I don't think they're <laughs> they're not the Cardinals. Put it that way, but, uh, but yeah, um, you know they, they, they dug the hole pretty deep. Uh, fortunately, when they did it, it was very very early in the season, and those those giant deficits are not especially meaningful. And uh, you know Wilson Wilson's back where he belongs, so maybe that's what they need to fix. Apparently, everyone's getting along again. Pictures have certainly changed their tune, probably because someone yelled at them and said, you're not allowed to say stuff like this in public anymore. So they 
they cleaned that up. Uh, and you know how does winning fixes everything? Yeah, it, you know, yeah. This this is a nice little uh, demonstration of just that. <laughs> winning fixes everything. All right, what else do you have for us, Samantha? Okay, so last thing, um, there's a, a fun little survey floating around the internet uh, about a week ago uh, about ballparks, and, and people were sharing sort of, you know, what do you think is the best ballpark and the worst ballpark and the most overrated and, you know, the, the best one that is not your own home park. And, but the, the most interesting, we've seen stuff like this before, it's always fun to answer it, right? But one of the most interesting things that was on there is what if a park that no longer exists that you would like to visit. Um, and everybody here agreed that we were not going to be boring and give the obvious answer and say Polo Grounds. So please don't think we are dismissing Polo Grounds as a place that uh, we wouldn't want to visit because we absolutely would. It's actually not super far from where I live now, the site of it. Um, but which would be, how cool would that be, man? I could walk to a major league ballpark if they had built on that site. That'd be um, amazing. Instead of out in Queens when the Mets came. What a bummer. Um, but anyway, uh, Polo Grounds. Yes, wonderful. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and give mine, and then I want to hear you guys' as well, and, and curious, you know, everybody else out there, hit us up on Twitter, let us know what yours are, and most is Polo Grounds, we don't need to know that. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I, I cheated a little bit. The original survey that went around was set major league ballparks. So when we set this up, um, I have taken a, a bit of a, we'll call it a side angle on this, because I have chosen something that is technically from the pre-professional era, uh, and that's the Elysian Fields in Hoboken, New Jersey, um, which were the site of some of the earliest, what we would call, I guess the things we would say were sort of the proto-professional baseball, the stuff that led to what we watch now in Major League Baseball. Um, and these were active from the 1830s to the 1870s. The last reference to a game there was in 1889. We have no records of anything after that. So that's probably when the last game was played there. Um, but this is, it's a pretty cool spot. It was like a pleasure garden. Um, they had a hotel, a tavern, picnic areas, a spa, carnival rides, boat races. It's a 15-minute ferry ride from Manhattan to get out there. People would kind of go out and make a day of it or perhaps even a weekend of it if you wanted to stay at the hotel. You could go to the saloon and, uh, you know, knock a few back and, and then go watch uh, some pretty professional baseball. And the Knickerbocker Club of New York City, which is one of the earliest sort of very organized baseball teams that we consider sort of the things that were the immediate predecessors to, again, sort of what we get when the National League forms and then eventually the American League shortly after this. They were founded in 1845, and they're often called the first baseball club to travel uh, because they did play, they were technically from Manhattan, um, and they traveled out to New Jersey. So... Um, this is also where Henry Chadwick, um, who I'm sure most of you are familiar with that name, um, switched from being purely a cricket journalist to a baseball journalist and, and perhaps more importantly, a huge proponent of the game. Um, and it's also when newspapers started covering baseball in general. So that's sort of why I say I think this one kind of counts because it is sort of the uh, location of where the teams that kind of, I guess, allowed baseball to turn into what it is today. So so that's my pick for this. Um, and, and by the way, if you 
want to know more about Elysian Fields, um, I highly recommend reading Baseball in the Garden of Eden by John Thorne. Um, fantastic book just about the origins of baseball in general, about early baseball, who invented baseball, is it really an American game, is it British? Um, very, very dense. It's an intense read, but well worth it and lots of cool stuff like that in there. So, But I want to know, where do you guys want to go that no longer exists? You know, this was actually really fun because I was able to pull out my Lost Ballparks book and, to, and, and flip through it again, which was a nice little trip down, down memory lane. But, I mean, I, I'm kind of taking a page out of your book. It's not technically a major league field. However, it did hold or host a future major league team. All right. Uh, this was also, and this is this is really the reason why I picked it, Um for those that don't know, there the, the the Wrigley Field as you know now is actually the second one. Ooh, yeah, yeah. It is Good the story. second Wrigley mm-hmm. Field. The first Wrigley Field also built by the Chewing Gum Dude. <laughs> Wrigley Chewing Gum. Uh, Wrigley Field in Los Angeles. It's for the first game was September 29th, nineteen twenty five. It, it was the Los Angeles Angels, who we now know as the Los Angeles, Southern California, Anaheim, Baja Angels. Uh, the Los Angeles Angels beat the San Francisco Seals 10-8. to eight. Another, One more fascinating thing before we get over to Irby. Uh, the proximity to Hollywood Studios made this a popular spot for film locations, including Pride of the Yankees. The Twilight Zone, The Munsters, and uh, Babe Comes Home, which featured Babe Ruth, all filmed at Wrigley Field in Los Angeles. So, some fun little facts in that one. Yeah, that's a good one. And that's um, another book rack, um, Lights, Camera, Fastball, um, which was actually about the uh, Hollywood Stars team, Mm -hmm. which was out there in the Van Pacific Coast League, which, as you mentioned, was sort of um, we'll call it a parallel to professional league in a way. Um, not what, what the Pacific Coast League is now is not what this was. This was more like a sort of a minor league, but sort of also professional uh, before the, the big teams moved out there. But uh, uh, yeah, super cool book that talks a lot about um, Wrigley Field 1.0. I was about to call it Wrigley Field Patient Zero. Um, but yeah, super cool. That's an excellent pick. It's a lot of super cool history out there um, in the early California teams before the Dodgers and the Giants moved out there. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right, Irby, how about you? You're up. All right. Well, that was that was good. That was um, I had read and heard about uh, Wrigley Field, so that was one that I knew, and that was a good one. But Samantha, thank you for the history lesson. That was awesome. Um, I went a little different. I did go for a professional one um, that no longer stands, but I would enjoy it. And you'll, you might know, but as I get through this, you know, you'll understand why, because I'm just chaos, and we're all chaos goblins. But mine is a Griffith Stadium, which stood in Washington, D.C., uh, from 1911 to 1965. Uh, fun thing about Griffith, before it was truly built, um, Definitely built uh, on a whim, and not the whim that you want. March 17th, 1911, stood Boundary Field, um, both a National and an American League ballpark. It was a all-wooden ballpark. All right, folks, go ahead and do the math. Why isn't that standing all-wooden? That's right, because a plumber's blowtorch 
burn the all wooden stadium down. Uh, something from <laughs> yeah, no, terrible, terrible. But well, because if you do the numbers, you see what's happening there. March seventeenth, yeah. During spring training, the field burned down. Ooh. So, see, uh, the lovely uh, <laughs> owners of the then Washington Senators were in a rather difficult situation because they had already agreed on opening day that President William Howard Taft would be throwing out the first pitch. So, quite a conundrum, but they worked day and night, built enough of a stadium, the construction of then the stadium, that they were able to host the president, host opening day in a game against the Boston Red Sox, um, actually built enough for 16,000 people to be there. While the senators were on road trips, they continued construction um, and got the stadium to where it was. Um, but one of the reasons why I love this one just because of the chaos, was the field dimension. Fun story with that about, you know, burning down and, hey, we got to get the president, but the field dimension. So we're going to go we're gonna go from right field to left field. So right down that right field line ran 320 feet. Pretty normal, not bad. Right field, right center, 373. Okay, pretty decent, pretty decent alley. Uh, center field, dead center, 421. All right, so you see we're getting some triples in here, you know, some nice space out there. Left center, 360. So kind of a sharp turn in there from center field. Left center, 360. Left field, 388. Wait a minute. Left field's further than left center. That's right, folks. Wonderful pictures of Griffith Stadium. 388 down the left field line. Oh, I've, so, seen, I've seen these aerial photos are fantastic. Uh, <laughs> it is fantastic. Love the dimensions. Would love to sit in those seats. Um, the, the inside the park, the triples and everything that you could get in that corner. Um, but Griffith Stadium also hosted um, different presidents, had football and baseball, uh, wonderful facility, lots of all-star games and World Series, wonderful moments. Um, it no longer stands today. However... Um, where it is, the site is today, is actually Howard University. Um, more specifically, Howard University's hospital school. Mm -hmm. All right, so their hospital school. And inside, they still have the original home plate and batter's boxes on both sides. So if you're ever visiting Howard University Hospital, you can go in and you can still see where home plate was for the then Washington Senators. <laughs> Uh, that's amazing. I am so glad you brought up the wooden ballparks because this was, a, and this is, I learned something today too, because I did not realize that that park burned down and I did not realize how it happened, but this was a common problem back then because people were smoking mm -hmm. in the stands. There heck, people were smoking on the field and people would drop their cigarettes or their cigars through the slats of the wood and like, you know, you can guess what happened next. So um, good lesson, which probably should have been learned from, like, I don't know, the entire city of London in 1666 from the Great Fire. Like, stop building shit out of wood. It's, it's not great. Um, because the second the wind flows, when there's fire somewhere, suddenly there will be a fire everywhere. So, super interesting. Um, glad you mentioned the weird dimensions as well, because I love, it's concerning to me that fields are becoming more homogenized. Um, I, I love weird ballpark dimensions. That's amazing, and I'm, I'm glad we still have some variation and another sort of fun side thing um when you're done listening to this podcast i would urge you all to go look up a gentleman by the name of david 
uh, Husavsky, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, but this guy basically made it his mission, I think it started off as a college thesis project, to map every weird baseball field in the country. Um, he started off with just the ones in Ohio um, for his college projects, going around, checking out every single baseball diamond in existence, and then finding, like, the weirdest ones, you know, like the ones that have, like, a sidewalk through the outfield, and or the ones where it's, you know, 100 feet down one line and 400 feet down the other. There's no way to mark where a home run is, except there's, like, somebody stuck a chair there or something, but... Super fascinating stuff, and I love that stuff like that still exists, at least at some level. But it's awesome that at one point, professional major league games were being played in this disaster of a stadium. Fantastic. You know, somewhere there's an A's executive saying, well, it could be worse. It could, the stadium where it could burn down before in the middle of spring training. Oh, yeah. I mean, I... Why has no one burned down the Coliseum for the insurance money? I mean, I, there's <laughs> right. been some interesting stuff coming out about that, too, where they're saying, like, the suite level is basically abandoned. Like, you can just walk in there and, like, you know, check it out. Like, somebody, there was a rumor going around there were go-karts in there that somebody found. Like, somebody the feral cats ride the go-karts um, on during road trips, which would, yeah, I would pay money to see that. Um, there's a payphone on the concourse, apparently. A payphone. Because, you know, you'd have to pay money to have that taken out. So, of course, they're not going to do that. But, anyway, many amazing treasures to be unearthed in the Oakland Coliseum. And, I wonder, well, it's a, if, if somebody burns it down, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say it wasn't an accident. Just going to put that out there. Wouldn't it be amazing if that phone still worked? Like, it, like it connected oh. to... It connected to someone who's been, who's been, like, sitting at that station every day for the last 50 years... Has a retired chain smoking parliament and waiting for that call to have to come in and be like, oh, operator. <laughs> oh, God. Could you imagine? What if it was a bullpen phone and there was legit, that would be hilarious. If there was like a guy who was like, I've been waiting for like one of those weird spy things where it's like, it looks like a prop, but there's some dude who's been sitting there for 40 years with the nuclear codes or whatever, just waiting for a call. Like, <laughs> that would be amazing. Although, unfortunately, the guy from Baseball Barbie. Barbara Cats did try it, and he said it didn't work. Oh, so, boom. bummer. But, you know, in my dreams it works, and the feral cats called the CIA from it and whisper state secrets. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Okay, Irby, you're up. <laughs> tough act to follow with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, that is a tough act. Yeah, that's that's some great nostalgia, and um, so I will slowly limp, limp us back into the the present and what's going on and um, more of, I, I guess as we get back there, I want to, let's do the humor first and do the fun and everything. And, and I'll just take a moment to appreciate um, the stash, the, the, the wonderfulness that is 24 year old Spencer Strider's mustache. Um, you know, normally I like to, you know, you, you bow, you make a big point. I, I love prospects. Um, I love development and see how things go. So really, really excited about this, that at 24 years old, he's able to get there. Um, lots of things, lots of variations, definitely wonderful directions that he can go. Um, so super excited about Spencer's future um, and where he can go with this stash because it is a fantastic one, mm -hmm. and I hope he keeps it up. Um, or importantly, not really, the stash is more fun, but really, more importantly, on the field, um, Spencer Strider has been a... <laughs> Kind of an enigma um, this season in, in what he has done for the Braves because he has been a 
huge part of the success. He has been a guy at times that is a difference maker, and, and, and we've talked about some of these outings um, that we looked back in the first month where he had a, um, a two-hit shutout of the Marlins and struck out 13. You know, we've seen some wonderful performances, but there's some weird parts about Spencer that I hope he is able to correct and things that concern me. So Spencer, um, wonderful, wonderful April, uh, only had two quality starts in his five, but he had two other performances, sorry, three. He could have had all five, but didn't go six innings in a couple of them as they continue to stretch the arm out. As we've gotten here into May, things have gotten a little bit muddier. Um, he is still going in all 10 of his starts. He's gone all, at least five innings, which is, you know, exactly what you need for your bullpen is you want to shorten everything there. But Spencer's weird thing, and, and, and we, we talked before, and I know a lot of us have seen that, you know, his slider is absolutely devastating. It's fun to watch from the, um, the confines of my recliner. I would be horrified to be in the batter's box and trying to hit that. But the weird part for me about Spencer is, is that even though he has done a very decent job of locking down when runners are getting on, um, boy, he spirals his runs. If you look at his runs and when they're happening, they're coming in bunches. He's giving the crooked innings. He is giving up at bats. He's giving up hits to start innings off. Now, not so great with no outs. Doing better with one, two outs, but he's getting himself into trouble too quick. And we've always seen this progression, and it doesn't always hold true, but, you know, first time through the lineup, second time, third time, how your numbers go. Um, Spencer has been locked down fantastic third time through the lineup, and he's been really solid first time through the lineup. He has absolutely sucked second time through the lineup, and that makes absolutely no sense um, <laughs> that you would be pretty decent in one, terrible in two, and then you lock it down in the third. So kind of a weird thing going on with the Braves here. Um, this is a young pitcher I hope does well. These are not terrible numbers. We're kind of picking and choosing here because if you can have a starting pitcher, a young starting pitcher who can give up three or less runs and go five to six innings, you're going to take it. Uh, the problem here is that the Braves are starting to lean on him to be the guy, mm -hmm. and I don't think he's there yet. You know, Samantha, this almost feels like we're, we're going to have to have the conversation about postseason versus regular season here because this is the kind of stuff that you can kind of hide during a regular season. You know, it, it's not that huge of a deal, but come playoff time, the second time through the order is, is you still need your starter out there unless you start with an opener. So I can see what the concern is, but I, but at the same time, it's, it's nothing to panic about. I don't think at least not yet. Yeah, no. And, and I think you're right. I, that's that crooked inning. Typically we talk about, well, this isn't a guy you would leave in a third time through the order in the postseason, but it's sort of a problem if the third one's okay. And the second yeah. one Mm -hmm. isn't um and then i think that kind of dovetails a little bit with what you said or be about how they, you know they're kind of leaning on him and making him the guy and it's like you know he could be how he is now and still be a valuable piece in the postseason but like that that can't be the guy capital g guy in the postseason if he's still doing that so i mean i will say this for strider he is very young um i, I think he's you know we were talking about this a little bit uh, when we were playing this show, 
off air about how it feels like this guy's been around forever. And then you realize he's only 24. And, you know, he went to Clemson. He was a college pitcher. So, like, he really can't have been around for more than a handful of years. But he was a guy who, who we paid a lot of attention to when he was in the minors. He's just one of those guys who kind of follow the whole journey from Clemson up through the minors and all the way to the majors. So, But it's also the kind of thing that I think sort of thinking about it and you're thinking that this guy probably has more experience than he does. Also, he has a mustache, which also makes him seem older. So it's good that you pointed that out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think we're – perhaps a little bit off in, in the way that, you know, we think about this guy because he can be so good and, and because he seems to have been around for longer than he truly has. Um, I, I can't believe neither of you mentioned the vegan diet. I feel like now on principle I have to mention it. Um, like, Irby, when you were going into, there are some things to fix. I really thought you were going to follow that, but he needs to, you know, he's on a vegan diet. Um, so, anyway, he claims this is better for him, so, you know, good for you, Spencer. You do you. Um love the mustache, but, but yeah, I, I think the big takeaway here is I have some concerns about this, not for Strider's career, but for how this is going to play out in the race in postseason. Just give me a few days. I will be able to pinpoint exactly how his vegan diet is why the second time through the order and not any other time through the order is his big bugaboo. Just give me a few days. I can do this. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Irby, what else you got for us tonight? <laughs> well, I'm totally here for that. That's awesome. So um, the next guy, uh, kind of near and dear to me, um, was a huge fan of this young man when he got drafted. Um, actually was celebrating, you know, very rarely do we celebrate the 39th pick of the draft. But I was. I was very hopeful, and that was one uh, Joey Gallo, um, longtime Ranger, solid Ranger career. And then uh, traded in a trade that um, it's, it's kind of nice to have the Rangers get the winning side of a fleece trade. But they were definitely the winning side of this trade when he was shipped off to the Yankees um, for not a wonderful <laughs> season. And then the uh, Dodgers, same thing. Lots of issues. Joey Gallo's a twin. And is he fixed? I, you know, this is one that I would love to hear y'all's opinion on this, too. I don't. I don't know. Like, like, is this this is a weird thing? And you know, are we are we dealing with yet another player who take him out of the uh, the 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 atmosphere of New York or Los Angeles, and he performs better? Possibly. You know, here we are. Minneapolis is definitely not New York, and it's the same with the Arlington area. Is definitely not L.A. So, is that what Joey needs? You know, I we, we all we all were getting excited as we got through April because it looked like. Joey Gallo is fixed, and here we go. We're still seeing these moonshots and, and the shift not happening. Is that the reason Joey's fixed? You know, all these positives. And, God, man, I, I know you can speak this too. I love the guy. I really do. Mm-hmm. But this is, this is here we go. I'm, this is my second one here of, yeah, April's great. We're into May. And the May numbers are starting to show that Joey Gallo, for me, as much as I love the guy, it's the same old Joey Gallo. It's the same issues. And though the K numbers are some of the lowest he's ever had, his walk numbers are fine, that's great. He hits the ball hard. It's the sheer number. And you're striking out more than a third of the time. It's not great. And that is what the number is, and that's after a good April. May has not been kind to him. And I, you know how this is going. You keep moving that direction, things don't get better. And it was a wonderful start to the season, but it's starting to feel like that momentum is petering out. And 
though he's got those 11 home runs again, one of the biggest problems with Joey is he knows how to jump on the ball when there's nobody on. Yep. And mm -hmm. the lack of hits, the lack of smart hitting at times becomes an issue. And here we are again, 11 home runs, 23 RBI. Yeah, Samantha, I don't think there's any <clears throat> fixing Joey Gallo because this is who Joey Gallo is. And you look at you look at his season so far in comparison to his career numbers. It's not far off the mark of his career numbers. His batting average is up 11 points. Sure, that's fine. But his OP, his his on base percentage is up three uh, three hundredths of a point. He's at three twenty five to three twenty eight. Slugging's up a little bit. OPS is up a little bit, but nothing to break the bank with. At, at some point. I think everyone everyone that follows baseball needs to just understand who Joey Gallo is. He's the guy that hits the really cool-looking moonshots, and then that's it. He's not a singles guy. He's not a line drive guy. He's not going to be you know lead the league in doubles or anything like that. He just hits moonshots. And I'm with Irby. I love the guy. I think he's an outstanding. He's an outstanding dude. But that's what he is. He's a moonshot hitter. And that's great for batting practice. It's great for television. It's great for the stat cast and, and all the fun they have with Joey Gallo when he connects on one. But that's all he does. Yeah, I, no, I think you're absolutely right about that. I mean, I love Joey Gallo, but, like, guys, he's Russell Brannion. Like, mm -hmm. I, yeah. <laughs> it's just, and, and it's great. And, you know, there is a, a home for the, the Joey Gallows and the Russell Granians of the world in certain lineups on certain teams under certain circumstances where it makes sense to have a guy where you can say, I accept the incredibly high strikeout rate in exchange for the occasional heroic moonshot. Um, but, you know, the strikeouts, especially when you look at them against the walks, are still bad. And I think what this was is, you know, at the beginning of the season, it was like, okay, if... The problem was New York, which, I mean, how much do you love Joey Gallo for being like, yeah, I hated it there. Like, super honest, yeah. right? Like, mm -hmm. which is great. Um, And I love that he came out and said that because, you know, we don't usually hear that from people until after they retire. <laughs> and it was fun um, because there were a lot of Yankee fans that just could not believe that Joey Gallo did not like being a Yankee after they tormented him all season long for being himself, as you have pointed out. So, um you know, it's, there was, a, I think, a possibility that just getting out of that environment would have helped him. And then the bigger possibility was, well, is he going to be a guy who was going to be a huge beneficiary being left-handed batter of the shift restrictions? And that was what I was really hoping for, because the other one just feels a little bit unrealistic. <laughs> so I was hoping it would make a big difference for him. And, and I think, ultimately, his numbers will be better post-shift restrictions than pre-shift restrictions, especially if you count for regression due to age. But ultimately, Bo, I think you're right, and you are too, that, like, look, we love Joey Gallo, and there's a place for him in baseball, but ultimately, like, you know, he, where, let's, let's go back to Denny Green again. But he is who we thought he was. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what he is. He is Moonshot. It, again, it, it's, it, it's fine. You can make a career out of that in baseball. Just, yeah. If, if, if people would just stop trying to make him more than he is, all of a sudden he'll meet expectations. And it's a lot more fun to watch. So, yes. you know. All right, Irby, what else you got? Well, my last one, um, you know, since I've done guys that have had, you know, solid 
Aprils and then have, you know, come back down to earth in May. So everything I thought I would do, um, just double down and have somebody who did a crappy job in April and a crappy job in May. Um, and, and so this is my kind of, um, how do you still have a job moment? You know, we all have those employees that we work with that you look at on the daily basis. You know, how, how have you not been fired? Like, how is this person still employed by our company? How are we moving forward with this person? And for me, this is, again, it's going to go back into a little personal, but that's okay because this is my therapy and I'm getting this out. Um, Rudy Odor, how in the hell does this guy still have a job? Like, like what is... What is the point, San Diego? What is the point here of, of what you're trying to do? Because I, 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 I've got nothing um, <laughs> of, of what we're doing here. You know, I, I, I know that you know that the first thing that would be would be said to me is is that well, yeah, but you look at you know the uh, he two was it a couple days ago he got four RBIs he had two doubles and four RBI and that that's awesome fantastic he has nine on the season now. So, no, I'm not getting excited about the fact that you drove in four and now you have nine. Um, and, and the funny thing is is that I, I think he knew what I was doing this tonight um, because Rudin had hit a home run earlier tonight. So, um, and, and, but that right there would be the one example because I don't even need to see this to know what happened is that he hit a home run tonight. So he has two on the season. Yippee, great job. And this is the problem with Rudin and Odor. And it's the problem that's always been is that he is going to celebrate that home run. He is going to pound that chest. He's going to unbutton two more buttons on his jersey and show off that chain and show off that chest. And he's going to make sure everybody knows, I hit a home run today, guys. I, me, Ruben Ordor hit a home run. That's right. Don't worry about the last 40 at-bats where I didn't do crap. Don't worry about the next 50 at-bats where I'm going to strike out 20 times. I hit a home run today. So that's why I, I can't with this guy. Sure, great young player. I mean, we had in his first, what, five seasons, five legit seasons, he was a 30-home run guy three times. But boy, did this guy get figured out, and the strikeouts were skyrocketing, and the cost stealings were skyrocketing, and just the dumb plays were skyrocketing. And that's what happens is Rootman Odor plays for Rootman Odor. Um, which is very confusing because that's his dad's name and a couple of his brothers. That's right, folks. They all have the exact same name. Don't even get into that. We could spend hours on that, that how, how many problems that is, but whatever. He plays for himself. So San Diego, what are you doing here? What, what, what is the point? Okay, You're struggling in the division. You're supposed to be winning this division. Why is this guy still getting at bats? Like, like this is the, sure, if you want to pinch hit him, fine, whatever. That's all. Like, why are you starting? What is what is the point here? Come after me. I'm a man. I'm forty. <laughs> right. That's right. I love being forty, and that's that. I fully understand you, Coach Gundy. <laughs> oh, Except boy. this kid didn't do everything right. <laughs> uh, Samantha, like, like every year we get one of these. <laughs> One of these Rufnetto door <laughs> rants. 
I, yeah, I, this guy, look, this guy was a hero to us all for like one day a couple of years ago, and, and bless him for that, and we will always love him again um, for his, you know, heroic and selfless actions. Um, <laughs> and it, it came involving an, another gentleman um, who, who nobody misses, just like nobody's going to miss Rugnet. But, you know, Rugnet, he had that one, he was king for a day. Right, um, and and to be fair to Rudin, as you pointed out, he, he did uh, have some productive seasons at the beginning of his career. But uh, you know, I was trying to think through this and going like, okay, like, well, can I top Rudin or Dor for the like, why are you still in the majors? Question, and it turns out there, no, you can't, um, <laughs> basically because somebody DFA'd Eric Cosmer last week, so um, <laughs> they're one of my best candidate. But uh, you know, I, there's an argument to be made for Gene Segura, who is batting 194 and has the worst uh, launch angle. Um, of anyone in the league, um, you know, Jose Abreu, also a good candidate, but it, it's tough to, to do worse than, than Rudnett. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, you know, I want to spend hours talking about the fact that his dad and his brothers and him all have the same name. We actually have spent hours on that in the past, and we probably will again, but we will spare you all that here. Um, but yes, Rudnett Odor, why are you still on a major league roster? <laughs> I mean, I, I was going to toss that Corey Kluber. Um, that, that that's one that I can't, oh, I can't figure yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which makes me sad because yeah. I always I really liked watching him in his prime, but man, I, yeah, that's a guy you, you yeah you feel bad saying. I don't really feel bad saying about Rudy Mendoza, but I, I feel bad about Cooper. <laughs> All right, Irby. Anything else on this one before we move on? No, well, this. Thank you, Samantha, for bringing up the day. Yes, yes. There was one day that Rutan fought for all of us, and um, you know, it was probably that time. You know, what 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 is the the wonderful um, DC line that Two Face always said? You know, sometimes you need to be the hero. You know, the hero needs to die, or you live longer to be the villain. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Rutan has lived long enough to be the villain, and it might have been better if him and Jose just you know fought it out and ended both their careers in there because. Both of their grids technically did end, <laughs> kind of at that point. Like that was definitely the highlight. So yeah, yes, uh, one day, seven years, and a couple of weeks now, or not even it was seven years and a week ago. Rudin was for all of us, um, and we appreciate. And I really do appreciate him for that. But um, baseball needs to be in the past now. <laughs> all right. Well, um, I wanted to touch on uh, just kicking this off. Uh, I want to touch a little bit on some bullpens because, I mean, obviously we, we, we've got some bullpens that are struggling mightily, but what, what's interesting is we've got a lot of contenders. Now, I'm not talking about blown saves completely. I mean, that's obviously part of it, but you've got some you've got some bullpens for, for, for some contending teams here, guys, that, that are just flat-out struggling. The, the Rangers have the, the, the fourth-worst bullpen in the league. The only teams worse are the Giants, White Sox, and A's. And by the way, no one's catching the A's at this point. But two spots behind Texas are the Dodgers, and then there's the Rays. You got Arizona in in the bottom 10 here of of bullpens. Uh, Toronto, Atlanta, they've struggled a little bit. Boston's kind of middle of the pack. How much of a problem is this? Samantha, because you, we've got a lot of teams that are contending right now and quite a few of them that look like they have the look of it where they're going to be contending pretty much all year long. They, there's going to be a lot of, of teams out there looking for relief help. And you look at the teams that are going to be 
in a position to make those trades, they don't have a lot of good options to trade off. Like it's it's a good market for a team like the A's to get get some get some you know energy back in their farm system, but they don't have anything at the major level that you would really want in a trade. So you've got I think going to be a little bit of a low supply and a really high demand here as we get into the middle of of, of the summer. Yeah, it's weird because, you know, normally you think of bullpen pieces as, like, relatively easy to come by at the deadline. So if you are a contending team and you are missing a piece in your bullpen, you can usually get one for a pretty reasonable price who's going to be pretty effective. Um, But we have an unusual situation here this year in that the supply is not there. The demand is far exceeding the supply because there's just way too many good teams that are having a lot of bullpen problems. I mean, there are some that weren't even on that list you mentioned where I'm thinking, oh, boy. Um, you know, I mean, even, like, look at Cleveland. Yeah. You know, like, they, they have a better-performing bullpen overall, but they have a huge problem in the form of Emmanuel Fosse right now. Um, so perhaps he can sort that out himself. But the problem is is that there's just not a lot of there, – there are too many teams in need and not enough teams who are going to be willing to sell who – have the kind of pieces that you would actually want. So if the only places where you can find good bullpen pitching are on the teams that are already in the mix, then, yeah, I mean, I think you have a really, really lopsided market here. So if you are one of the few out there that has bullpen options to offer and you are going to be a seller, you are going to clean up because it's like the opposite of, you know, most trade deadlines. We think, well, you can always get a bullpen piece, right? Like that, that won't cost you too much. You can always add there. And I don't think that's how it's going to go this year. <laughs> now, Irby, how about you? What are you thinking about bullpens here as we get into June? Uh, yeah, the bullpen market will be fun to watch um, because, like you said, though, anytime we have plenty of teams wanting um, and not enough options there, you're going to get somebody overpay. You're going to get someone doing that. And it only takes one uh, to get the deal done. And it takes one to do it early and things can be a little too expensive. So it'll be fun to watch. Um, I'm excited. A couple other things after what y'all said, Uh, Bo, I would argue um, that the A's bullpen is actually overperforming based upon what we thought they would be. I know that's still a terrible number, but I could argue they're doing well. They're doing just fine. Um, Boy, talk about putting lipstick on a pig, man. Yeah, hey, you know, but still, it's still a fact. It's still, and, and then the other one is I just wanted to say Delino DeShields Jr., um, just because in the last five minutes we've said Corey Kluber and Emmanuel Classe. So I just want to complete that trade by saying all those names. That's it. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Uh, so next on the list here, uh, I, think, I think we need to talk about the Mariners for a second, guys, because – you know, the Astros have have, start, have started playing better baseball. The Rangers have been maintaining with their start. Uh, at, now you got the Angels and the Mariners, four and a half and then six and a half. But the, those Mariners are six and a half, Smith, and we're getting really close to Memorial Day. Are we hitting the panic button here with Seattle? They're, they're pedestrian 24 and 24. They're not building on any momentum whatsoever that they came out of last season with, which, you know, their front office kind of screwed them on that one anyway. But we still thought that they still have this outstanding starting pitching. Even with Ray going down, they still have outstanding starting pitching. They're getting better play from from Kelnick. They can't blame all of this on Rodriguez's struggles. So are we going to start to really take a look at that panic button here with Seattle? 
Yeah, I think you have to. Um, and a lot of this is the rotten luck of being in a division that has two very good teams that are not going to go away in front of you. Let me throw out the angel, but it doesn't matter. Uh, one way or another, that's <laughs> not going to make a difference. They, they might finish out of the Mariners, but ultimately, if the Mariners came on and did what we expected them to do, that would not have come up. But Houston is a very good team. They're only going to get better. Texas is extremely legit. So where's the place for you at this point? You know, you're not, I don't think you're getting a wild card unless you are wildly different um, in the second nice. half and you have been so far in the first half is my dad. Um, but like, hey, look, I just think, sure, if you were in the AL Central and you were 24 and 24 right now, we'd be like, no problem, you're fine. Like, you just gotta hang on and wait for the bottom to fall out on the Twins. And perhaps the Guardians will never materialize offensively either. But, like, I just think that for a team that they don't really have a way to get better right now um, because they don't exactly have a lot to offer on the trade market. Um, it's also a little bit hard to pin down where exactly you would add to fix the problems that they have. And like you said, you know, I don't think the Robbie Ray injury or the performance of Julio Rodriguez fully explains this. So, yeah, I, I just think, I don't know, I'm about as close as you can get to hitting the panic button before Memorial Day for a team that's playing 500 baseball. Yes. Yeah. 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 Irby, how about you? What are your thoughts on the Mariners? I, yeah, this is, you know, is, is all the positives and things I want to say about this rotation, which has been, you know, the, the reason why you're still in this fight. Um, I, at the end of the day, everything I'm going to say positive, you're just going to respond and yeah, you're behind the angels. So until you pass the angels, I can't be positive here. I, I just, I can't, um, I, I, you've got to get ahead of it. I mean, it's that simple. Like, like, forget the conversation about what you should be hanging with Houston and what you should be doing with Texas and all that. You've got to get ahead of the Angels first to get into this fight because there is enough talent. There is plenty, especially on the offensive side. Like, there is enough offensive talent for you to get in there. Um, part of this, you know, one of the big power outages we've seen is Eugenio, Eugenio uh, Suarez. The power outage there. Yeah, Kelly has been awesome, great, but the, the combination of Suarez and, and, and Julio Rodriguez not getting the job done is the reason that we are where we are today with them. Um, the good thing is, hey, you're in the middle of the series uh, with the A's. you got two wins in the video. You've got the Pirates coming up at home. Like, like that, now is the time. Now is the time to turn this around, and I'm very intrigued to see what happens these next couple of days and then this weekend with Pittsburgh because now is the time to, to get this done. Um, one other final little note about these guys, um, and, and we can dive more into this later on, but but an early nomination for the Nuke Lelouch um, Award for Matt Brash. Uh, Matt Brash, boy, he is, um, <laughs> in his 20 innings so far, he has struck out 39 in his 20 innings, which is, which is great. In his 20 innings, um, between walks and hits batters, there's 13. In his 20 innings, there's 23 hits. So Matt Brash is either striking you out, <laughs> walking you, or you're getting a hit. Like, like there's no need for the fielders or anything here. <laughs> new league record. <laughs> yeah, he is. Also um, another new league record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Matt, Matt Brash is, uh, this is some fun. This is, uh, let's keep this up. You're striking out. It's like, yeah, he's striking out. Two out of every four, you know, yeah, but the other two are getting hit. So this is not good. <laughs> oh, man. 
fantastic. Yeah, I always like getting you know the uh, the the occasional actual nuclear loose, the live version. Uh, it's great. <laughs> okay, one more before we get into armchair umpire. Uh, it's not going to be a rant. There's just some things about this I would like to point out, and I'm talking about power rankings because. I kind of had enough. So it's a little rant. It's a small rant. It's just, they serve no purpose, guys. Like they, they are clickbait. They're designed to drive traffic to a website. And their sole purpose is to generate responses from all of us baseball fans. I think we can all agree on that. So let's, let's just stop giving them that. They, they have no weight. They have no value. Not a single power ranking, no matter whether you get it from ESPN, Major League Baseball, Wherever you get your power rankings, if they get you so bent out of shape that you have to flood the comments section with how awesome your team is in comparison to whoever they have in the top 10, take a step back. Take a breath. Grab a sip of a soda. Or take a shot of whiskey. Whatever it takes to calm down. Because this this is really getting to be annoying where you, you get on to social media, you go to some of these websites, and all people are doing is bitching about the power rankings that have no weight, Samantha, whatsoever. They mean nothing. They literally mean nothing. Why are people getting so pinned out of shape over someone's opinion of where your team is? This is not like college sports where the rankings matter and they have weight. Can we just stop this, please? I preach. Yeah, I guys, this is garbage content. It's garbage. It's clickbait. It's essentially the sports equivalent of those articles that are like five mistakes you might be making in the way you store food in your fridge. <laughs> yes. Like I this is it's designed to make you go, oh. Wait, am I doing something wrong? Like, oh no, the magazine thinks I might be doing something wrong. I better check on this to make sure I'm not loading my fridge incorrectly. Like, it's the same kind of garbage. It's designed to make you, with your short attention span that we all have now, go in there and be like, oh, I need to see where my team is ranked. And then what they're counting on is that you're going to get mad. Because unless you're number one, you're going to be mad, right? Because these things are completely subjective. There's a formula for this. There is no hard and fast way to statistically determine power rankings. That's not what they are. It's an arbitrary list made by some guy or some girl, some of whom are smarter than others. But the point of it has never truly been to say, like, here are the best teams or the worst teams in the league. That's not how these work. They're out there in order to get you to engage with content that costs them nothing to produce, which they can put it out there every week. It's going to get a ton of hits. It's going to get a ton of traffic. They're going to make a ton of money running ads on it. And guess what? You're not going to learn a damn thing about baseball. It's trash. There are a ton of good resources out there. If you want to figure out who are the best teams and who are the worst teams, don't. Stop giving them your clicks. Stop giving them your money, which is what you're doing, essentially, because like this is just it's trash. It's just absolute trash. Stop it. As somebody who actually works in sports media, like I mean, we're we're all offended because like this is garbage. Like these people are like the bottom feeders of our 
economy in our industry. So right, you want to know why exactly. we're mad about it? It's this. It's because there's people doing the same job as us, except that they're not. <laughs> If I was to ever do a power ranking, I would put the, all the teams in a hat and probably come up with the A's as the top team. That's probably what would happen. I mean, you could. And then people would just come in and comment and be like, it would be the, the exact same comments that you would get if you put, like, the Braves at the top of it, right? Same comments. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just an, a tool for people to be mad online because Lord knows we need more of those. Yep, 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 yep. Irby, how about you? Any thoughts on this before we get into armchair umpire? I yeah, I'm with you guys. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of your time. It's a waste of everybody's time. Like it, it means nothing. You know, I, I I don't even like you know rankings as well. Period. Just I, I you know I get it for maybe collegiate sports when we're talking about host sites and who makes the play. You know that stuff. Fine, so be it. It serves that purpose. Uh, but yes, at this point, um, for for yeah, well, my my power ranking team is ranking. It doesn't matter. It absolutely does. Not, there's there's nothing here. Um, but the last thing is, um, and 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 also offline. Samantha, offline. Um, can you? We have a conversation. I just want to see if my fridge, if I'm loading correctly or incorrectly. I, I would like that. <laughs> I know because every time I make a point, I don't know if you're loading your fridge incorrectly because I, I make a point to I refuse to click on anything that's yelling at me. You know, five mistakes that you might be making when you're doing your hair, signs you're raising your kids wrong. Like, listen, like, <laughs> guy with no skills who has, you know, written, used chat GPT to write an internet article that, that matches, like, the CEO of things people click on. Like, I'm not interested in your opinion on, like, whether I'm doing a good job on my hair. So, anyway, Dustin's remain a mystery. Sorry, RV. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. All right. Well, time to move on. Let's do a little armchair umpire before we get out of here. Uh, So, Irby, what do you have for us tonight? All right. So, yeah, we we have a good one. I'm I'm excited about this. I'm excited to hear um, you you umpires work your way through this um, because you guys are umpiring, and you're umpiring part of a uh, four-man crew um, in this game um, in Oakland between the Yankees and the Athletics. Um, unfortunately for this day, um, and, and it's, I was going to do a heat stroke, but your, your second base umpire just hasn't been feeling well. Um, just so, so hypothetically for this, let's, you know, you say he was bitten by a feral cat and it's just foaming at the mouth. Everything needs to go get himself in the hospital. So, so there's just the three umpires and this went dark here fast. today. It did, well, you know, hey, it's, there's a few umpires who would get bit, but but you've got your three umpire crew, um, which can be done and everything, and they rotate and they know how to do this stuff and if they're athletic enough. But unfortunately, um, in this situation, um, the uh, Harrison Bader um, got himself on with a walk, and uh, while batting, while Jose Trevino is batting, Bader uh, takes off for second base, and the, um, Shea uh, Linger is the uh, athletics catcher throws down there to second base. But with that with that crew, the the second base umpire. Um, unfortunately, gets in the way of second baseman Tony Kemp as he's trying to go field the ball and kind of bumps into him, and the ball caroms out into center field. Being wise about it, Harrison Bader continues, touches sex, slides, continues to slide, pops up, and heads to third. Um, and your field umpire realizing, okay, now I've got to scoot over to third. 
So he heads to third as well as Ramon Laureano is picking the ball up and throwing to third. And as he's doing that, before the ball can get to third, before Harrison Bader gets the third, once again, the ball has hit the umpire for the second time, bounces past third base. Harrison Bader pops up from third, runs home, and scores the run. As this is all happening, immediately your field umpire is waving his arms and saying, oh, well, stop, 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 stop. I interfered with that one. I interfered. Bring him back to third. Um, the athletics, immediately, both managers run out, and they are quite upset. Um, why, you know, this should have been a dead ball. He needs the bases. You're in the pub. All these fun things. Both managers are upset. Everybody's confused. What, what's the real call here? What do you guys say? Well, obviously the umpire's out, right? Okay. <laughs> well, you've already lost one. Get <laughs> <laughs> hit with the ball twice. <laughs> um, so I guess my only question about this is if the rules change when there are less umps on the field, which I can't imagine. No. And this actually it, did. So, no, okay. So, so, so I, I will say this. The reason why I, I did that is, is that um, for this scenario, I needed to have umpire in motion um, oh, just sure. to create the second one because, you know, we'd have a lazy umpire at third base just stand on the line and try to make a call, and he wouldn't. But, no, no, there's because there's less umpires, there is no rule changes or anything like that. Okay, okay so then I'm pretty sure I do know the answer to this only because it just happened in a Guardians game <laughs> where a um, so throw hit an umpire who failed to get out of the way on time, and I know how that was scored. So um, we can kind of talk through this, and um, again, unless there's been a rule change, I know how this one turns out, but, you know, it was, I mean, people were pretty mad about the fact that that was called as an error. It was called as a throwing error. Um, play was so continuous. So, which is very, yes, very baseball. So, um, anyway, as far as I know, that was, well, I know it wasn't contested in this game, so I have to assume that that was, in fact, the rule that the runner was allowed to advance, so I would have to assume that that would mean that the runner would be allowed to advance here as well, um, because we just saw this exact rule made on the field. Um, it was ruled an error on the person making the throw, and the runner was allowed to advance. Right, but this runner scored. So did that runner. <laughs> so you're, yeah, and there's, and, and I'll go through it again. So your first throw, the, the, the throw from the catcher down to second, the umpire and the fielder collide. They bump into each other before the ball gets there. The, the runner, when going second to third, the throw to third, before the fielder has an opportunity to catch the ball, the ball hits the umpire. Okay, so we so, know for sure how that piece is. But the question is, is the whole thing dead because they collided prior to that? Yeah, that, that is where this hinges, because if it's not dead there, right. then it's not dead at any point in this play, and the, and the score counts. Right. So then the question becomes, is a collision between an ump and a fielder ruled differently than an umpire getting hit by the ball? So we know, because we've seen it come up in armchair umpire before, what happens if the hit hits the umpire? And we know what happens if it's row hits the umpire. So the question now comes down to, do we know what happens when an umpire and a fielder collide? Because it might wipe out the second part of this. Because we know what the ruling is on that part of it. Yeah. 
So I guess the question is, is does the runner have to hold because the ump ran into the fielder? Or do they send the runner back would, first? Do they, do they declare interference completely from the beginning and the runner goes back to first, everyone starts over? Right. I mean, I think those are the options, right? Either the runner goes back to first or the runner scores. Yes. I do agree. Those there. are the yeah. two choices. I think that's Because we know that second one doesn't matter, but the first one might. So is he going back to first or is he going home? Now, I wonder, Irby, did you give us a hint, the fact that both managers were upset? Because... Oh, okay. Well, there's, yeah, you know what? Then there's a third scenario where yeah. he is awarded second base on interference and then the play is dead. Yeah. Well, and that's, so the, and, and so your field umpire in the moment, as he's waving everything, he is calling himself interference and he is returning the runner. So, yeah, that's where, yeah, the first, okay. yeah. Which is going to upset the team that's hitting. Yeah. And I don't know why the other one would be upset. The other one would be upset if the runner is advanced in any way. Right, but it did. But well, or well, we're hearing the ump say interference and send the guy back. Right, but the, so, so that means the ruling was neither of those things. Well, wasn't didn't the umpire send it back to third, Irby? In my initial one, yes, the umpire says no. I'm interfering. I have interfered with this play and returns the runner to third in this situation. So they go first Which doesn't. Yeah. But that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Because the interference came on the earlier part of the play. Right. So that cannot be right. Right. Which is why you got two managers upset. Yeah, <laughs> there it is. That's why they're both upset. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um, right, so, okay, so... Either they scored or they're at first base. Samantha, mm -hmm. we, gotta, we gotta pick one. I know. I, I don't like it. There's too many moving parts. There's too much going on here. And it's it's a fun one too because that's a big difference. Yeah. Runner at first, run scores. That is a big difference. I mean, I kind of want to lean on baseball's other interference rules and put him back at first. Mm -hmm. I kind of yeah. Want to and well, and also I want to go on the knowledge that sometimes he throws in extraneous information to throw us off. Uh -huh. And the whole part about the fact that the guy, like, he could have just said that. This was all about whether the guy was at first or second, but he didn't, right? He had him going all the way around the bases, and he had a second umpire interference. Yeah, and But we know how that scores. So that tells me that that probably doesn't matter. And I also suspect he knew I would know how that was scored. So, <laughs> I think he's trying to throw us off. So, so yeah, I'm with you. Are you assuming I am this diabolical? Yes. What? Yeah, you are. <laughs> Yeah, sure. And we've done and this was like when he neglected to mention the fielder walking or the batter running, walking off the field until you asked him about it. Uh -huh. In that one where the whole thing hinged on whether on the fact that the guy was only out because he walked off the field, but he did not mention that in his initial assessment. He waited until we asked. See, See the book is out on you. I am no longer like Chicken Little on Twitter about this. There's been why we these. <laughs> Where everyone knows it now, so I it, and it's it's fun on my end too because I will read through these scenarios. I'm like, ooh, nah, that's not that's not hard enough for them. <laughs> or is it? See now you're trying to. Is it that simple? Samantha. That's what's fun is that sometimes is as I tried. I think it was week one. I tried to give you all a really easy one. I was like I threw out a bunch of weird stuff. It's like yeah, I'm gonna triple with all the 
Nope, they got it. <laughs> Flattery will get you nowhere, sir. Turning into first. Yes. Okay. I got you guys. <laughs> you overthought it this one. Scores. Yeah. Ray Harrison Bader scores. So the weird thing about interference and how it works, it's um, it, it really has to do with how the ball is in play. Um, so the interference rules when they, when there's a throw down the field when they, when a successful throw has been made, the umpires out in the field are part of the field. You bump into them, you hit them, so be it. They are part of the field. Interference, umpire interference, comes into play as a dead ball when, if a catcher making a at throw collides at the yeah. plate, collides with the umpire, or if a batted ball hits an umpire before a fielder has a chance to make a play. So there's the difference. It's the catcher making the throw or the batted ball. But if the, the, the throw is out in the field, if if the ball is already in play, it's a different conversation. And, and it's weird about that ruling. Um, it's so strange about that second one, about a batted ball hitting an umpire before a fielder can make a play is very strange. It's an interesting one to me because why would the, there, there's very few situations where an umpire would be precluding a fielder from making a play. That's the beautiful thing of the baseball rule book is they've got that scenario figured out. They've got that already there. Um, but the biggest one we see with umpire interference is with the catcher throwing and colliding with the umpire. So, yeah, yeah it's you guys were absolutely right, and I'm glad you didn't fall in the trick of, like, yeah, it's, even if it's the second time, the poor umpire's like, I'm getting in the way. I'm sorry. i got to stop this. Like, no, so be it. Like, like, that is the unfortunate thing. Whether it's a throw and then it hits the umpire, it doesn't matter. 
And I should have trusted my instinct and just ignored everything except for the second hit. Just <laughs> with it and said that he scores. But you, you know where we, you know where we went wrong here, Bo. Where we should have gotten this is that we know the ops are part of the field. Yeah, we know that. Yeah, that that's probably the thing that should have been the tell here. Although, I mean, I think your point was good that typically with interference calls, mm-hmm. like that's not how that works. So, all right, well. We've learned something. What are we? Are we three and two? Is that is that our record right now? Are we three and two, are we? Are we right? No, you guys are four and two. You're four, four and two. two. You okay. you got it last week. Better. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. It's a little yeah. better. Four and two. Okay. Yeah. All right. I can live with that. Um. <laughs> I'm also. Yeah, I, I'm a little upset with baseball players right now because there's a lot of fun that could be had with guys like Angel Hernandez. There's so many different things you can do if you if you celebrate the spirit of the rule that the umpires are a part of the field. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot you, you want can do. somebody <laughs> to Albert Bell, the Fernando Pena of Angel Hernandez, is what I'm hearing, <laughs> and I don't disagree. Um, <laughs> Could be amazing, and then you could just throw your hands up and say, "I'm sorry, I was told he was part of the field," and they'd have to go, "Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. I can't kick you out of a baseball game for like kicking a base." So, you know. Well, in this one too, what what I love about this scenario is is that you you've got both managers running out, which would just make for a fantastic TV um, to see both managers at the same time running out and yelling, and the umpires trying to figure it out, but. At the end of the day, you guys are absolutely right. It's it's that you know it's an easy explanation that the umpires would have. It's like, hey, we're in the field to play tough, and I'm imagining that because of this, the umpire being hit twice, allowing Bader to successfully take second, third, and home. You're gonna. It's not just going to be the manager for the A's getting thrown out. Like, there's probably going to be four or five ejections of people that are upset, even with the umpires going, "We're in the field to play, man. There's nothing we can do. <laughs> Get out of the way." <laughs> I well, yeah. I mean, like, can we stop and take a moment to talk about the incompetence of the umpire in here? Because I know this was how we all felt when we saw this with the Guardians a couple of weeks ago. Like, you had your back turned, yeah, looking at the plate to the person who has the baseball, and that guy gets an error. Are you freaking kidding me? Like, I'm kind of glad I hit him in the head. Honestly, so it's right. Like. Um, yeah. he, he was fine before you all come to me. He was fine. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I just, I can see how anytime you have like a goofy play where someone manages to take three bases from it, everyone is going to be irate. So if you've made three fielding errors, whoever the people making the errors are, are going to have mental breakdowns out there. But if it was actually the umpire who allowed this to happen, then, oh my gosh, yeah, like, Someone's getting kicked out of this game, right? Like probably several someone's almost on principle. <laughs> this is like one of those where you're like, you know what? I need to get thrown out of this. It's the right thing to do. <laughs> do you do that as a smart umpire when you explain to the A's management going, look, here's what I'm about to rule. I'm going to go ahead and throw y'all out just so that you don't have to get too crazy and get suspended or anything. But, uh... <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I think you're right. There's, there's a mea culpa there for the umpire. Like, look, I screwed up. I know I screwed up. Do you want me to toss you so that you don't have to bump me and it doesn't cost you 10 grand or whatever? Yeah, that would be the right thing to do. Now, 
let's go through the list of umpires who would never do something like that. Well, hey, you know what? When I was first putting this together, there was a moment that I almost made your, your partner, your field umpire, Joe West. <laughs> That's a because it's very believable to see Joe trying to move from second to cover third yeah. and getting plunked. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's see Joe West as an umpire for cricket. <laughs> well, it would be one way to get everyone thrown out one way or the other. If Joe West was umpiring that. Like, it wouldn't be a seven-hour match. It'd be a three-hour match because he threw everybody out. <laughs> yeah, you could really shorten up cricket matches that way. I mean, like, just saying, you think baseball's too long? We told you. Cricket takes days, man. But send Joe West over there and clean up that problem, too. Um, <laughs> don't need a pitch clock. <laughs> Oh boy! All right, <laughs> that's gonna do it for us. We're out of here. <laughs> Don't forget to smash that like button. Give us a subscription. Maybe give us a review. Hit us up on Twitter. Let us know if you if you actually did get the uh, the correct answer for armchair umpire. We'd love to hear that. But until next week, watch some baseball. It's good for you. Okay.